Again, it's a pleasure to be here this evening. I really do appreciate the opportunity extended by the elders of this place to be able to come and spend this week together with you. Thoroughly enjoyed spending some time with these young folks uh, today and you older folks today as well. Uh, it really has been a pleasurable day and I hope the message this evening will be beneficial to you as well. And I want to tell you before I show you the title, I have not talked to the elders about the sermon tonight. I have not discussed it with them. You're fixing to find out why. They will pay close attention tonight, I promise you, because the title of the sermon is Things Your Elders Want You to Know, okay? But I have not talked to them about it, but I promise you that they will agree with this sermon tonight, okay? So the elders can relax and all of that. Now, some of you are visiting here, and you may have a home congregation, and you've got elders. Our, our theme this week is we're part of a family, we talked about Sunday morning how we're part of a family from a standpoint of a physical family, meaning our moms, dads, uncles, aunts, all that sort of stuff. But we're part of God's family. We're part of the church. And what we have in our local congregations are leaders in that church and specifically elders in the church that do not legislate scripture. They make judgment calls related to how a group operates and forms, things like that. They uh, want to try to oversee, feed the flock, make sure they're understanding the word of God, that type of thing. But the reality is, those men have a responsibility in leading God's family. Uh, and you notice some of the qualifications for an elder is, if they can't lead their own house, how are they going to lead the house of God? And so, in this process, these guys have done so in their own lives, with their own children. They understand the process of raising children. And they understand the challenges that come with that. And they've got a larger family now. They've got a family of, of children that they're overseeing, that they care for, that they want good things out of. And I want to talk to you for just a little while about things your elders would want you to know. Number one, they want you to help them create a loving environment, a loving uh, atmosphere in the congregation is the word I used on the slide. A loving environment. You know, one of the challenges in a congregational setting is creating a climate for growth. And creating a climate where a person, and when I say growth, I'm not talking about necessarily numerical growth in the congregation, although it may end in that. But I'm talking about spiritual growth, creating a climate where people can grow spiritually. And that is a challenging thing to do. And obviously elders want to set the tone for that, but they can't control every aspect of that. They need your help. And they want you to help them create an environment, a loving environment within a congregation where you and your families can develop and grow. John chapter 13 and verse number 35 says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So when we talk about a climate for growth or an environment for growth or an atmosphere for growth, we're talking about a loving atmosphere where brothers and sisters are getting along with one another, love one another, care about one another, care for the needs of each other, I promise you, your elders want you to help them with that. Because that climate is huge in accomplishing the long-range goals of a congregation. It's also a blessing to you to, as an individual to have that type of an environment. Number two, your elders want you to be a team player. We talked about teamwork yesterday. And I promise you, your elders here in this congregation, for this congregation that they oversee, and for you younger folks that may be visiting from other places that may go back to your home congregation, they want you to recognize the importance of being a team player. And they want you to be a team player. They may be a coach on a team, if we could use that team analogy for just a moment, like a softball team or a baseball team. They may be the coach, and they may be trying to 
whisper in your ear and say, hey, you know, pick it up over here or do this or pay attention to that, that type of thing. You know, I know in our congregation, having an atmosphere where that can be done is a challenge that you can take a young man. Ethan goes to church with us at home. And if Ethan gets up and he says something in the pulpit that really should have been said, for me to have the open relationship to be able to go, hey, Ethan, come here. I need to visit with you about something. I need to talk to you about it. That's what a coach does. That's what a coach does to his players because we want to elevate the play of everybody involved. We want to elevate the success of everybody involved. And if people do not create the atmosphere to where you can discuss and talk and help and recognize the importance of playing roles on a team, etc., it's very difficult in a congregation for a congregation to function to its maximum capacity. We talked about this passage yesterday, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 25, that there should be no schism or schism in the body, no division in the body is what that word means, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 18, now, it, uh, now if God set the members, every one of them, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. That's what God has done. He has placed members in the body. The elders didn't, you know, when somebody became a member of the Lord's church, the elders didn't take a vote on it. The congregation didn't take a vote on it. God placed them in the body and these elders are willing to oversee and to help and to nurture, etc. An environment for those individuals to grow. Number three, I promise you, your elders want you to have a want-to spirit. And I don't know how else to describe it except Lisa and I raised children. And some of you have known us since we were knee-high to a grasshopper and we were little kids. Uh, and some of you may not know us, but Lisa and I have been married about, I think, 34 years. This last January was our anniversary. And uh, I've, I've married a gal that I knew who I was marrying at the time I married her in the sense that that I was looking for somebody that wanted to live a Christian life, be a Christian wife, and all that sort of stuff. But I'm telling you, I got blessed beyond measure because I, I married somebody that far exceeded my expectations. It, it just went a lot better than I would have even thought it could have gone. It's been a blessing to have been married to her. But she and I had four children. We had four daughters. Never had an opportunity to raise boys. We had four daughters. But I found out when you have four daughters, boys show up. So we now have four sons-in-law. And we have sick number six grandchild on the way. Here's what I mean by want to spirit. We raise teenagers. We've gone through the teenage years. All of our girls are now out of school, out of college. They're married. All of them are school teachers. They almost all got the same degree. They all teach elementary school. And But we went through the teenage years with those girls. Now, don't get me wrong. They, they were good girls. We loved them. They, they loved us. We had a good relationship in a lot of ways. But we had our moments. And they were teenagers. And let me tell you about a want-to spirit. Hey, Amy, mom needs you to take the trash out. <clears throat> Just cannot believe somebody asked me to do something. You know, we got church members act that way. And I can tell you, your elders, you know what they want? They want an environment where people can grow. They want you to be a team player. And they want you to want to. They want you to do it because you want to. If the elders literally are having to pull teeth, you know, to try to get somebody to be involved in the church, it's easier to go do it yourself. I tell you honestly, we had a situation one time in a congregation that I was a part of where we had a, a situation where a gate needed to be unlocked for the lawn guy to show up and, and mow the yard on Saturday. We had a guy that said, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. 
And the Saturday would roll around that the gate needed to be unlocked and the lawn guy would, would notify me that the gate's locked. He can't get in. So I would go unlock it. And then I would mention to the fact that the gate still needed to be unlocked, etc., etc., on a regular basis that the lawn guy was coming. But I would go unlock it and then the next time it was still locked. The guy that volunteered wasn't really wanting to do it and it was still locked and, and, Finally communicated with the individual about that. He said, I know exactly when it needs to be locked. I'll get it, un- or it needs to be unlocked. I'll get it unlocked. Not a problem. And the next time it was locked again. Finally, I just kind of gave up. And I went to somebody else and said, do you mind making sure that gate gets unlocked for the, for the lawn guys? Yeah, not a problem. He went down the very first time. Guess what? The gate was unlocked. Okay? My point is, there are people who are very passive, resistant. They are... They're just challenging to work with. They claim they want to be involved, but really what they want to do is work against anything that's happening that they, because they're just going to work against the grain. That's just what they're going to do. You know what elders need? They need a want to spirit. They need somebody that just wants to, that absolutely wants to be a part of the team. Isaiah 6 and verse number 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said, I, here am I, send me. We sing the song, here am I, send me, Lord, as long as you don't ask me to do anything. Right? Here am I, send me, Lord. Now I'll tell you, in our house, Lisa and I, as we were raising kids, we were involved in, our kids were band nerds, and and we were band booster parents, and we ran concession stands and pulled band trailers and instruments and all that sort of stuff, and we'd go to these band meetings. You know what Lisa and I discussed on the way to every one of those band booster meetings? Don't volunteer for anything, right? And then we'd leave the meeting, and I was president, and she was vice president somehow. I don't, I don't know how that worked. But you know, you're kind of sitting there in the room going, this really is going to be the organization we're going to have? Seriously? Okay, I'll do it then, you know? I'm not saying I had the want-to spirit, you know what I mean? But you know, here am I, send me. Now, we have church meetings sometimes where we're, talking as a large group about what we want to get done and we're going to do this and that and lisa will sit up here on the front lisa will go i'll do it and i lisa you're going to do it already you don't volunteer give somebody else a chance to volunteer i promise you you are the one that's going to do it right because you're my wife but you know really when it comes to church we ought to have the spirit that doesn't say we walk into the meeting and go don't volunteer for anything We ought to be the one going, let me help. I want to be the one that helps. I want to be the one that makes a difference. I want to be the one that touches the lives of people. I want to be the one that is helping make the church what the church is. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Brother Michael talked about this verse this morning when it comes to singing, but it's applicable in every part of our life. And that is, we're not doing it so that other men can see what's being done. We're doing it so God We'll be happy with what we're doing and he'll be glorified when it's said and done. Number four, you know what your elders want from you? Especially to the fathers that's in the crowd today. You know what the elders need from you? Lead your families. Lead your families. Husbands, if you're here, love your wife. Wives that are here, love your husbands. You know what elders need? We need families that are strong families that are taking care of business and bearing their burdens, etc. that they need to bear. And, and it, it seems as though sometimes we get loaded up 
with folks who they hadn't paid the rent and they hadn't paid the, the, the electricity bill and they hadn't paid for the medicine and they hadn't this, they hadn't taken care of that, they hadn't done that. The kids are wild heathens and they're running all over the place and, and, and we've got mom and dad clueless to everything. In our particular congregation years ago, we had somebody came to the church and needed a thousand bucks. Church gave them a thousand bucks. They left the next day, went to Vegas. And then wondered why people thought that was a bad idea. You know what elders need? Dads to be dads and moms to be moms and children to be children. Take care of responsibilities. Pay your bills. Go to work every day. Do the mundane things of life. Take care of business. Train up your children. Develop them. Teach them the Bible. Teach them how to be good people. Teach them their spiritual needs, their social needs, their physical needs. Take care of those things for them. Dads, lead your families. Take responsibility. Take responsibility to lead them. And I will tell you, you will make an elder's life so much easier. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's instruction to fathers. You know what elders need? They need you to do that. They need fathers to take the responsibility, the seriousness of the responsibility, to take care of their families, their wives, their children. Lead them in a spiritual way. Bring them to church. Sit them on a pew with you. Explain to them what they need to know about the Bible. Lead your families. I promise you, your elders want you to do that. Number five, you know your elders want you to follow them as they follow Christ. There's a passage, I love this passage, Hebrews 13, verse number 7. And I want you to read through this, focus on a couple of words here in just a moment. But it says, remember them which had the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, if you're familiar with the King James, the word conversation means the way you live your life, the manner of life that you live. And so consider the way those elders are living. Pay attention to how other people are living. Follow their faith. It didn't say follow them down a primrose path. It didn't say follow them off the edge of a cliff. It didn't say follow them to do something unscriptural. That's not what that verse said. That verse said follow their faith. Considering the end of their conversation. Pay attention to the way it's working out for them. The way they're making decisions in life. Lisa and I have talked on many occasions about in some ways how we've been smart enough to pay attention to other people and the way they live their life. I'm telling you, you can learn a lot if you'll watch around you. You know, there are some decisions people make that always end up with a bad ending. It always ends up in destruction. And it doesn't take you very long to pay attention to the way people are living their life and go, that's not the way I want to go. That's not the way I'm going to make decisions. But you know, there are people who are living their life and they're not living it in chaos. They're living their life and it's, it's got structure to it. They're learning the Bible. They're teaching the Bible. They're influencing the world for Christ, etc. Pay attention to the lives around you. Most importantly, pay attention to the lives of your elders. Consider the end of their conversation. That's really the context of those that have the rule over you here. It's certainly applicable in other aspects. Children, pay attention to the way your mom and dad make decisions. Pay attention to the decisions they're making. Are those decisions good, godly decisions? Are they leading down good results at the end of it? Do you end up with good results? Are you paying attention to the end of their conversation, the way they live their life? It'll change the way you make decisions in life by paying attention to other people. Number six, your elders want you to be 
a giver. You know, there's a couple of mentalities in this world. There are people that are takers, and there are people that are givers. And in this context, I'm not talking tonight, although it's true, it's a part of what I'm saying, but I'm not talking about Sunday contribution when the plates are passed, although I think it's applicable in that context. But I'm talking about living a life of giving, that you're not a taker. You're, that's not your personality. You're not trying to get from other people to help you. You're trying to give to the world. You're trying to give back to others and to try to help others. We talked a little yesterday about being a servant, that type of thing, that truly we're a giver at heart. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6 says, This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We had a young man got behind our communion table one Sunday, I said communion table, really we were at contribution time. And he got to talking about a concept that really we talk about it all the time, but in the context he talked about it that morning, it just was a new awakening for me. He talked about bountiful giving. Not just giving, not cheerful giving, but bountiful giving. You know what this verse says? If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. He said, I want to talk to you about bountiful giving. That means abundant. That means you're working at it. That means you're doing extra and above and all that. You've got that kind of an attitude. I promise you, your elders want you to be that kind of a person. The kind of person that's a giver. That lives their life as a giver. They're not selfish. It's not about me, me, I, I, and all that sort of stuff. It's about others and helping others along the way. I love this passage of prophet Haggai in uh, chapter 2, verse number 19. It says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth fruit. You know, there's a lot of people that are looking for fruit that's never sown any seed. And Haggai is asking the question, Is your seed yet in the barn? Do you know if you're a farmer and your seed's in the barn, you're not going to get a harvest come harvest time. Your seed has to be in the ground. We actually have to go sow seed. Because if you leave the seed in the barn, you don't get a harvest. That's the question. And I tell you, when we start talking about sowing seed, we're talking about the things we say to people, the words we speak, the attitudes we have. We're sowing seed. We're sowing seed all the time. What are we doing with that seed? Are we leaving it in the barn? Or are we influencing the world for Christ? If we're really expecting a bountiful harvest, we really expect bountiful things happening in our lives, we can't keep our seed in the barn. We have to be bountiful givers. Number seven, you know what your elders want? And want you to know that they want you to excel to your potential. They want good things for you. I promise you there's not a person in this room tonight that these elders in this congregation, and I know there are other elders of other congregations here tonight, those elders want, you know what they want from you? They want you to grow and develop Learn the Word of God. Learn how to handle your families and be successful in life and all those sort of things. I promise you they want that for you. They want you to excel to your potential. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that in its context is really talking about uh, the teaching of the church and, and essentially the teaching of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, dealing with the public assembly, talks about even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. I want you to think about the word edify for just a moment, though. The word edify means build up. Now, we do that through teaching. But, you know, we build each other up by being present. You know, we tear each other down by not being present. 
You know, when I come to church and I sit on a pew and Bob's not there or Sam's not there or Henrietta's not there or whatever their names are, I've just made up names. They're not there. You know, I'm not built up. They're not there building me up. I'm concerned about them, etc. And, and if they're there because they're, um, let's say, lackluster enthusiasm about spiritual things, it is. It, in fact, it's wearing me down or bearing down on me. It's not building me up. You know, when people are there and they've got a want-to spirit, they want to be a part of the Lord's church, and they're, they've got an attitude of a giver and they care, they're, they're there because they recognize they're not there for me. And when I say they're not there for themselves, just like I'm not there for me or I, I'm there to help build others up. That's why I'm there. When I open my voice up and sing, you know what I'm trying to do? Sing praise to God. Michael's talked to us about that. But I'm also helping to build up the congregation, those that are around me. I want Yancey to hear me sing behind him. I want to hear Yancey sing in front of me because it builds me up to know there are others that are praising God. What a song service tonight, Michael. What a song service tonight. That's a group of people that want to praise God. That builds me up. I promise you, your elders in this congregation want you to excel to your potential. They want good things for you. They want to build you up, not tear you down. They might pull you aside. And you need to have the attitude to be open to that. They may pull you aside and say, Hey, I need to talk to you about some things. I'm concerned about you or whatever. Or maybe there's some things that's happening that we really don't want to have happen. It's not the way we're going to take care of business, that kind of thing. We need to be open to that. But I promise you the intent behind it is not to tear you down. It's to make you better at what it is that you're doing. Whatever that is. I promise you they want to build you up. Number eight. You know what your elders want? They want to see you and your children grow and develop. We talked about an atmosphere and we talked about excelling to your potential and all that. This is specifically to the moms and dads in the crowd. You know what they want that far? They want you to be able to have an environment to, for your children to grow and develop. And I tell you, these children are precious. And I know we've got all different ages, but we are blessed with an abundance of children this week. Our congregation is blessed. It, it wasn't that long ago. I sat in our congregation and I was sitting over here and there was a group of little kids. And I bet you they were eight years old and under. I didn't ask them their age or anything, but they were just young little tykes in our congregation. And very quickly, I counted 24 little kids that were about that age, and that wasn't all of them. I don't know how many we've got, 30 plus, 40 maybe, little bitty tykes. I mean, we've got a pass load of kids. And I'll tell you, in our congregation, we've got some people that have very harsh attitudes toward little kids. Little kids are in their feet. Little kids are in the way. Little kids are making noise. Little kids are just, I can't, can't, these little kids. Reason why I don't go anywhere is the little kids. Reason why I don't do that is the little kids. I want to tell you one thing. Don't mess with our little kids. Now, I'm serious. That is the future of our congregations. And I want to tell you, as elders, we want congregations to be in an environment where these children can grow and develop and I'm not saying that they don't have to be corrected. And I'm not saying that moms and dads don't need to be moms and dads. Of course they do. But don't mess with the kids. I'll tell you what breaks my heart. And I think there's some in the room that would agree with this if they thought about it long enough. In our part of the country, we lost a generation back in the 60s. We lost them. We lost their children. You know Why? Because there were moms and dads and brothers and sisters fighting each other in the church. 
And we lost a generation. I could name you on one hand the number of kids that survived. Kids, and when I say kids, maybe that generation right above me back in the 60s. I was a 60s kid, but I was a kid kid in the 60s. And I'll tell you a little experience. My brother, Leland, is my oldest brother. I'm third in line of four boys. My oldest brother was born in 61. I was born in 64. He, in 1968, my family got withdrawn from from a congregation. And they began a congregation in Pasadena, Texas. 1968. I want you to put an age on my brother for just a moment. He was seven. Okay? During the first couple of years of that work in 1968, 1969, 1970, he was seven, eight, nine years old. How formative do you think seven, nine years old is? I can tell you it's pretty formative. How old was I in 1968? I was four. You know what I was doing? I was running through old people's legs. You know, I was running around the building. I did. I had not a clue. I have one little bitty memory of even going to that church. I do not remember hardly anything about that. Now, life experiences and life is too complex to put it this simple. And it really isn't this simple. But I am telling you that at four years old, I grew up and I had some experiences with Jay and other people that, that got involved in our life and my life personally. And I traveled with Jay. I had some church experiences that were just different experiences. And Leland didn't have those experiences. Leland was 18 years old. Leland will tell you this story. I'm not telling you something he wouldn't tell you. But he was bitter. Why do you think he was bitter at 18 years old? It took him a little while to get his head together as to what was good for him church-wise and spiritual-wise and that kind of thing. Why do you think that was the case? Well, I can tell you a lot of it is because he grew up watching people fight each other instead of love each other. I was four years old. I jumped into a congregation that had a different spirit, etc. I say jumped into my dad you know, took me over to a different congregation with a different spirit, with a different mindset. I'm telling you, that culture and all that that we're talking about tonight, that environment and all of that want-to spirit and being willing to volunteer and say, hey, here am I, send me, etc. All those things make a difference. And they're making a difference on these young kids. And don't mess with our kids. We are blowing out our next generation when we do that kind of stuff. Before you say what you think you want to say, Hold your tongue and think about it for a moment. And remember, there are kids that are watching you and they are smart and they pay attention and they know what's happening. They know what's going on. Be careful what we do. I'm telling you, your elders want to see your children grow and develop because that's our generation in the future. Now, we're right now in our congregation on a gold mine. Y'all are too. We're sitting in a congregation now. We're somewhere probably 100 people, 110 people or something. I think there's 120 on the rolls. Our crowd says it's in the 90s, that kind of thing. We've got a pass load of youngins, 30, 40 youngins. The next 10 years is going to be either explosive for us or we'll lose that generation. And how sad will it be 10, 15 years from now for Ty to look back and go, oh, what could have been at College Park as opposed to what are we going to do to seed all these people? Because all of those kids are going to get married and have ten kids apiece. That's my goal. I'm, that's what I'm working on. I'm trying to encourage that. Church growth, right? At all costs. Evangelistic spirit. That's what we call it. Okay? 
and I want my kids. Now, I recognize there's other things, and life is not that simple. There's complexities to that. I raised four daughters. Two of them go to church with us at home. Two of them have betrayed us. One of them married a Tennessee boy, and they go to church in Tennessee. One of them lives in East Texas, goes to church in East Texas. But I will tell you honestly, I want my children to be a part of the Lord's kingdom wherever it is. And if they're in East Texas or they're Tennessee and they're involved in the Lord's kingdom, I'm thrilled for them. I do miss them. I would love for my children and my grandchildren to go to church with me. I'd love for that. But that's not always the case. We're going to lose some of the ones that go to church with us because they're going to go other places. Things We know that. But the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away because guess what? Some of your people from up here will move to Houston and we'll get an opportunity for them to go to church with us too. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of has a way of working out. But we either are going to expand the walls of the building... Or we're going to lose the next generation. And we, seriously, as adults, have to think about the consequences of those actions. And I'm telling you, a lot of hard work has gone into Denton, Texas over the last 20 years to let that squander. A lot of hard work has gone into College Park to let that squander. A lot of hard work has gone into other places to let that squander. Don't mess with our kids. If you're going to mess with them, build them up. Teach them. Instruct them. Help them understand what life is all about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11, I mentioned yesterday as well. As a father doth his children, he exhorted them, comforted them, taught them, encouraged them, etc. As a father doth his children. Number nine. I can promise you, your elders want you to know that they want to listen to you and that they are listening to you. And that the door is open to be to listen to you. And I want to tell you a story. This is a true story happened in our congregation. Several years ago, we built a new building. And in deciding to build that new building, I will tell you there's a lot of tough decisions to make in those kind of things. They're not easy. And I will tell you that at some point in time, somebody's got to make a decision. And that falls to the elders. To You have to make a call. And in that process, there was a couple of stories, a couple of things that happened that I think were somewhat noteworthy. One of which was a conversation we had with some families, a couple of families in there that really felt like we, and you can judge it, don't judge it, whatever. I'm just going to tell you the story. They did not want us to borrow any money to build a building. We had some money in the bank. We could have built a small building that would have seated 100 and 130 people or whatever. Or we could have borrowed some money to, to build a bigger building. And I will tell you honestly difficult decision because we could have built a building and been debt free or we could build a building that we're going to have some debt on and it's a challenge to do that i'm not anti dave ramsey i love dave ramsey dave ramsey though will even tell you to borrow money on a house or he'll say it's okay to borrow money on a house i'm not anti dave ramsey i think dave ramsey's got some great things to talk to young people and young families and older families about Great things. But we had a couple of folks in our congregation that were big into Dave Ramsey. They did not want to borrow money at all costs. And I will tell you, honestly, the elders sat in a room, and we had to make a decision. And that decision is not an easy decision. The decision was, are we building a building for us now, or are we building a 50-year decision here? Are we building with a vision for the future? And we made a decision that we were going to borrow money to build a building We didn't have to borrow all the money, but we borrowed some money to build the building, and that was going to require us to take on debt to do that. It's a very difficult decision to make, and it was a difficult decision for those elders to make, but that's the decision that was made. 
And it created conflict with those people. They felt like they weren't listened to. And let me tell you honestly, they were listened to. The decision wasn't their decision. They needed the ability to be able to go home and say, I voiced it. I lay my head down on the pillow. It's not my call. But they couldn't get over the fact that they weren't listened to. They were listened to. The decision went against what their thoughts were, their opinions were. But I promise you they were listened to. It's important to listen. The elders are not sitting back going, we're just going to... In fact, you know, there's sometimes people think that elders get what they want. And that's almost humorous. And if you're an elder, you know what I'm talking about. Because I have opinions of things I want. And you know, sometimes the last things we get are the things we want. Because we're trying to manage a group of people. And what's good for a congregation at large and that type of thing. And, and it's just challenging to do those sort of things. So people sometimes feel like they weren't listened to when in fact they're listened to. But somebody had to make a decision. The decision didn't go their way. We've got to learn to respect that. We've got to learn to lay our head down on the pillow and go, hey, it wasn't my call. I voiced it. I talked about the concerns I had, all that. But, but it's not my call. Let me tell you another example that happened in that same time frame. We were building a building. And we had somebody come to the elders and said, if you put a steeple on the building, we're not happy. And we had somebody else came to the elders and said, if you don't put a steeple on the building, we're not happy. Well, I can tell you what that does is that puts the elders in a position where somebody ain't happy. I mean, it doesn't matter what decision you make. Somebody ain't happy. And let me just mention to you that there's a different way to frame things than the, you know, we're going to leave if we don't get our way sort of type thing. You know, the different way to do that is to say, I'd like to sit down and visit with the elders and talk to them about concerns I have about things, about some things or decisions. Maybe it's a steeple or whatever the situation is. And let's talk about it. And let's express those concerns. And then let's step back and let them make the decision that they need to make. And let's respect that decision, whatever that decision is. But I can tell you, the challenge is, the way it was approach to our eldership was that if we don't get our way, we're not listened to. You, you didn't pay attention to us because we gave concerns. Now, after services are over, if you're curious and you want to know, do you all have a steeple or do you not have a steeple and what the reasons were on why there was a steeple and not a steeple, be happy to share some of that with you. I'm not going to take the time during the sermon to tell you that, but I am telling you that when it was said and done, no one left the church over it. They're all present and accounted for except one guy he's died he's dead that solves one problem i'm joking that happened after the steeple decision was made my point being is one of those guys called after the discussion we we visited with these families called and apologized for the approach that he made to the elders and he was even if the decision didn't go his way or didn't and it wasn't his decision he still respected the decision and and welcomed whatever that decision needed to be. That's a bad place to put men in that are just good men trying to make good decisions for a group of people. I promise you, your elders want you to know that they want to listen to you. In fact, your elders will be the first one to quote Proverbs 11 and 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You know what your elders need to have is counsel. They need to know what you're thinking. They need to know, hey, this is where I'm at on that and all that. But don't, don't say this is where I'm at and if you don't agree with me, I, I can't stand you any longer. That's not a good framework. 
but this is where I'm at and this is the reason why I'm there and these are the scriptures that are concerned to me or those type of things. And I tell you, elders are not legislating scripture. They're making judgment calls about things. How we use a building and those type of things. They're just making judgment calls. They're men. The scripture's already legislated. The scripture's already been given. They've got a responsibility to make sure that that's taught, etc. But they want to know what you're thinking about things. I'll tell you another aspect. While I'm here... You know, sometimes judgment calls in Denton from elders here might be different than they are at College Park. Might be different than they are in Gainesville because the people may be different. If you go to Baytown, Texas, they might make a different decision on some judgment things down there. What happens a lot of times with people, and it's a human characteristic, we grow up in a congregation, we go, well, this is the way we always did it. We move over to another congregation, go, I can't believe they're making that decision because that, that we all we never had a problem with that when I, where I went to church and... Because it's not the same people in that congregation. It's not the same families. It's not the same concerns. It's not the same feelings about things and opinions about things. And elders are dealing with those things and have to balance those things out. And I just want you to know, your elders want you to talk to them. Talk to them. Just don't back them in a corner and give them no alternative. Talk to them and visit with them about it. I promise you, they want you to do that. Now, if you elders disagree with any aspect of this, you guys feel free. You, I'll let you. I'll let you. It's your floor. You can have the floor anytime you want it. Ephesians chapter four, verse number fifteen. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is ahead even Christ. You know who the head of the church is? It's Christ. It's not the elders. The elders are shepherds of the flock, but they're under shepherds to the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns the church. So when I say it's their stage, I guess technically it's the Lord's stage, but they make the judgments about those things that happen in the congregation here. Look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Just want you to notice that. It doesn't say don't talk, but let your speech be seasoned with grace. I think I may have passed up my idea. Let me go to Ephesians 4 and verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love Okay? They want you to speak, and they want you to speak the truth. But let's do it in love. You know, If you're going to help another family, speak the truth. We need to be truth speakers. And Lisa and I joke a lot of times around our house, when you've got four kids, four son-in-laws, and six grandchildren, and you're all sitting around the table, you better expect the truth. And you better not have your feelings out there on your shoulder somewhere, because, you know, as a chip on your shoulder, because I guarantee you're going to hear the truth. But you know that truth needs to be spoken in love. And that's the same thing in a congregation. Speak the truth. Speak, speak what you need to speak to elders. But do so in love. And let it be seasoned with grace, etc. And the last thing I want to talk to you about, and then I'll close, is your elders want to see you in heaven. And I promise you tonight, your elders want to see you in heaven. You know, there's some things about Scripture that's intriguing to me. And uh, there's little glimpses in Scripture. And I don't... And, and let me tell you the subject. The subject is, will we know one another in heaven? And the answer is, from Ty, I don't know. I've never been. And to come back and tell you whether we know one another in heaven. But what is interesting to me is little glimpses we see in Scripture that have me believe that we will know one another in heaven. I want to share a little bit of that with you uh, this evening. And I'm not saying I've been there. I don't know. We may get on the other side of Jordan and you may look at me and go, I don't know who you are, but nan, 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 I told you we wouldn't know one another. I don't know. You know, all of those things might be the case, but I believe we'll know one another. Let me show you, 
show you a passage of scripture. That if you analyze that passage, I think you're gonna, I think you'll see some things in it. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse number nineteen. Apostle Paul had worked with the church at Thessalonica, and he says, "What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming?" The apostle Paul worked with the church at Thessalonica, and you know what he was saying to him. He said, you want to know what fulfills me? Do you know what really is my joy and crown of rejoicing? You know what's going to make life worth living for me when it's all said and done? Seeing you at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to do it for me. And I want to tell you, your elders are laboring among you as a congregation. And this week and this meeting and all the different things related to what's happening this week. And I know there's a ton of other people involved and elders' wives and... Deacons and wives and, and members and dads and moms and all that. And there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I get it. But I tell you, you know, at the end of the day, what's going to be fulfilling for elders of the congregation? That you're in heaven when it's all said and done. They see you at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's fulfilling. You know what's fulfilling for evangelists? Because I can tell you there's some things that ain't fulfilling. There's been some times I've driven home from... Husbands and wives that wanted to yell and scream at each other all night long and, and that type of stuff, it just ain't fun. It ain't a fun evening. And I tell you, it ain't fulfilling. And there's times you're driving home going, what in the world am I wasting my time on this kind of junk? But I can tell you what is fulfilling. Seeing these folks at the coming of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I don't know if we'll know one another in heaven, but it's little glimpses in Scripture like that that give me some indication that we will, and that we will see fulfillment. If you look at the book of Revelations, it's funny to me how many times it says in the, even the great white throne judgment that peoples, nations, tongues, etc. were all gathered together there for the judgment scene. I don't know how the judgment's going to go, but you know it's very possible that certain peoples are going to be gathered together, certain nations will be gathered together at the great throne judgment uh, certain tongues or languages, etc., be gathered together. I don't know how they're going to be separated out. Maybe the Flemings are going to be in an area. Maybe the McCorkles will be in an area or the Clarks will be in an area. Maybe it's a congregation at Denton that's going to be in an area or a congregation at Gainesville or, or, or Tulsa or College Park or Dallas, La Prada or whatever. Maybe, I don't know. But I can tell you one thing that's going to be fulfilling you know what my joy is going to be in crown of rejoicing? It's going to be you at the presence for Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. I want you in heaven. And I promise you these elders today, all of those other things and all those other decisions and judgments and things that have to be made have one purpose in mind, and that is they want to see you go to heaven when it's said and done. May God bless you. May God's countenance shine down on every home and family that's here tonight. If you're a dad here tonight, I hope you're inspired to be the best dad that you can be. If you're a mom here tonight, I hope you're inspired to be the best mother that you can be. Because I'm telling you, at the end of the day, the fulfillment of life is, are these families going to heaven? And we've got leadership responsibilities to help guide them and teach them and instruct them. My wife bought me a plaque. It's kind of humorous to me that she bought it for me as opposed to me finding it. But it's hung in my office, and I I do really like it. And it says, the greatest thing that a man can do for his children, that a father can do for his children, is to love their mother. I want to tell you tonight, the best thing, dads, you can do for your family is to love your wife. The best thing, wives, you can do for your family is to love your husband, love those children, and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And your elders here tonight want that for you and want to create an environment for that. 
and wants you to have the spirit that wants to serve Christ. If the church can help you or assist you in any way tonight through baptism or prayer, whatever that spiritual need may be to help you walk, to, to help build you up, to help edify you, to help you hold hands together and let's go through life together and let's help each other make the Christian life work. Whatever the church can do to help you tonight, we want to do it. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?